Uh, this is the first stream of the new year, yeah? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Happy New Year, Sean. Happy New Year, everybody. And Happy New Year to Anthony. Hello, Anthony. Yeah, hello, Anthony. Welcome, Anthony, uh, Mr. Anthony Campolo, to the show. He is a core team member of the Redwood JS effort, uh, which we'll be talking. We have a lot. We have many questions for you, uh, Anthony. So get ready. So many questions. That's good. That's what I love doing. I also just wanted to mention he also has a podcast called FS Jam, where they talk about full stack Jam stack applications. Putting that plug right at the top. I like it. Yeah. So that's kind of this whole this whole area of frameworks because we'll get into this, but like Redwood is kind of one of many different ways of combining all these technologies. So yeah, the idea of that, that podcast is to talk about Redwood, but also other projects that may be similar to Redwood or different from Redwood, but aiming for similar goals. So it's kind of like building community around this new full stack thing that we're all working on. So Anthony, you're the core developer advocate for the Redwood JS team. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how, how exactly you end up in that role because that's a uh, that's something you don't really see very often at least not in our friend circles yeah it's one of those things where i ended up in the role by essentially doing it and then eventually they had to give me the title because i was just doing it so essentially a developer <laughs> advocate is someone who goes out and explains or teaches or demonstrates a piece of technology so what I do is I do meetup talks and I write blog posts and I do podcasts such as this to basically tell people what Redwood is, how it works and how to leverage it, what you actually should use it for, what you shouldn't use it for as well and all the, all that kind of stuff. So I started doing this back in June and as the project grew and I was kind of like the only person doing it, it eventually got to the point where they were going to create more of a formal structure around the the project and so they asked me to join the team as kind of like the official core advocate of the team that's cool they make a position for you because <laughs> you're already doing it that's awesome since you're gonna advocate for redwood js why don't you tell us about it <laughs> yeah totally so sean and i we uh have a very very surface level understanding of jamstack i don't know i've never tried to write any uh jamstack style applications i don't know have you sean Mm, not not certainly not jam like full stack jam stack but um i've done a lot of static stuff i don't know if that can, is considered jam stack but yeah we have we have graphql react and uh you know that static site generation experience client side but not so much the uh serverless functions or any of that other stuff so right yeah so let's kind of first let's just define jam stack and then we can kind of go into how that relates to, to full stack jam stacks you kind of need that that first context when people say jam stack it like you say it's like a static site is is really essentially what it is so if you've ever used netlify or vercel and you've worked with something like gatsby or nextjs all of this is kind of in that jamstack area and the idea is that you're generating just a bunch of static assets that are being deployed to a cdn so the cdn part is really important here that's what gets it globally distributed and you don't have to deal with a single server running in US East 1 or wherever. And that's what's really nice about the Jamstack paradigm. Now, the problem, though, is that traditionally you don't have a database. And so can't do a lot without a database. And if you really want to have a full application with users and authentication and all the stuff you want to do in the types of apps, 
we want to do, you need that backend. But the question of full stack Jamstack is how do we get that backend while still being globally distributed with this super nice get push deploy kind of paradigm that we built up in the Jamstack. Yeah, having having a CDN, I mean, you mentioned US East 1, like just saying that just sends shivers down my spine of like having to manage that <laughs> infrastructure. Well, I guess what the, what's the most magical part of this is sort of the back end stuff, because I think I think the sort of front end frameworks like Next and Nuxt and, you know, just React in general, like people are pretty familiar with that paradigm. But but having it under one like repo is is kind of cool. I think that's like that's the whole thing, right? Yeah, so you definitely have the right context then to kind of get this. So it's not doing anything revolutionary in the sense that it's really kind of taking those ideas of what you're talking about and those frameworks, your kind of React view kind of frameworks, and giving you nice conventions to attach it to the to the back end. Because lots of people are building all these applications where they're figuring out how to wire up a Heroku Postgres database and all this kind of stuff. And they may be using TypeRM, they may be using SQLize, they may be using Prisma, which is what Redwood uses. So there's all these kind of different tools. And the idea is how do we give these, how do we integrate these tools in a really nice way to like give you a kind of Ruby on Rails type experience, but with this kind of new technology. So going back to kind of like what is, is the technology in it? Let's just kind of like break this down. The front end is just like a React app. So it's very much like a create react app or like a next thing. It has pages and layouts. It has kind of like a folder structure for your, for your front end project, but then it also has an API folder. So as you're saying, it's a mono repo. So it's one big project that has two folders in it. One is your website and one is your API side. And the API side is where you got all your GraphQL stuff going on. So uh, yeah. So like, what are your, What's your guys' experience level with like GraphQL? Like, do you know like a schema definition languages? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's kind of like the main thing is that schema definition language is just how you define your types in your backend. So if you say are creating a blog, you're gonna have blog posts and you're gonna have a type post. And that type post will have an ID with like an auto incrementing integer, it'll have a title, it'll have a body, and it'll have a created at date. And then you have Prisma integrated, so you can just run commands that will generate your SQL, they'll do your SQL commands, they'll set up your backend for you. And if you're someone who's like a uh, developer who's really more into relational databases and like this whole Mongo thing, Red was actually really nice for you because it's entirely relational based because Prisma at this point doesn't work with Mongo. We're, we're going to get there in, you know, two to three years maybe. But as of now, yeah, it's, sure. it's entirely relational. Yeah. Do you really want to though? <laughs> do you, do you really want to use use Mongo? <laughs> I guess some people do. Well, some people only use Mongo because they never learned relational. Because some people are brought up in this whole no SQL paradigm, and like they don't they don't know any better. <laughs> you're you're speaking my language here, Anthony. Yeah, I don't know if you know that. <laughs> no, totally. And this is why I actually I originally reached out to you is what kind of led to all this because I was listening to your conversation. It was uh, the Mongo adjacent episode. And there's two ideas you were spinning around that they weren't quite connected in in the conversation. And this is something that I'm noticing now. I'm noticing people who are rebuilding Redwood in their own kind of way. And so you're talking about having Heroku Postgres as like this, or just Postgres in general, as this like universal backend. And you're also talking about writing 
your whole backend as serverless functions. And like that, yep. that is Redwood in a nutshell. It is your backend is a bunch of serverless functions that are being mapped with a GraphQL schema to a relational backend, which is Postgres. Okay. So, okay. I, I still, I have questions here. <laughs> So, like, basically, in a nutshell, to make sure I have this right, uh, you got Redwood as an umbrella, and you, it's kind of split up into two projects. You have the API side, which be like your data layer, your your database, whatever other services you need to connect to, and you use GraphQL to kind of schema stitch everything together and expose it in a unified front, similar to like maybe Gatsby or or Gridsome or one of those other tools that connects to many databases, exposes one one API for you to use. And then you have the front end side of things, which is more or less a React app with, uh, after looking at some of the docs, it seems like there's there's helpers or utilities you can use, basically like uh, things that help reduce uh, the amount of React boilerplate you have to write. Yeah, so there's generator commands that map very nicely to your project structure and the different things you need to create. So if you want to create pages, you have a generate page command. If you want to create layouts, you have a generate layout command. If you want to create your backend services, talk to your APIs, you have a generate services command. So for someone who, you know, watched the the Rails demo back in the day, a lot of the stuff should should resonate there. Yeah, so we'll put a link in the show notes uh, to your uh, talk you just recently did for JS Monthly. Uh, I skimmed through that. I did my homework at the last minute. I watched it literally just before we came on the air here. And um, I got very much that Rails feel of like watching you just do the generators and stuff. It, it kind of did bring that that back cool. so so the whole mongo adjacent episode happened right and then i got mad at some stuff i was working on and i just said rails new into the console and it became so and suddenly i had generated an application and api that was done uh on the api side it was just done right suddenly it was just done and that's really the experience that I'm missing on the whole front end side of things. Like I understand the power of serverless and, and being able to, you know, deploy your front end globally, like you said, on the CDN, right. To all the edges, all the clouds, all the edges of all the clouds that exist. Um, but really where things kind of break down for me is having to stitch these services together. Uh, the closest I've found to not having to do that would be something like Firebase, but then um, you're using Firestore, I guess, uh, which, you know, if you want to use, if you're familiar with relational, then you have to learn a new paradigm with the document database, hence the whole like adjacent episode. Uh, another interesting thing that I've seen people do is they use Firebase just for auth or just for a couple of services, and then they spin up Postgres somewhere else. And so now you have sort of three places to manage things. And for me, that's kind of where it breaks down. If I'm like trying to just spin off projects on my own, you know, it just makes it kind of a non-starter for me because then I'm having to create multiple accounts, manage multiple accounts, manage multiple billing areas, service areas, right? It just kind of, it's a whole thing, basically. Yeah, Firebase gets brought up a lot when I'm talking about Redwood and talking about these kinds of services, because it's going for the same thing. Um, I've talked a lot recently about AWS AppSync, which also has a lot of similarities. If you kind of combine that with like DynamoDB, you get similar kind of experience that you get from like a Firebase, because you want to just have that database there that you can access and that you can write against a nice API with. To, to do everything you want to do. But like you said, then you might have auth as well that you want to do. But if you can't do all of that in your database and have it play nicely with your front end, then you're going to run into trouble. So it's about how you get all of that into an integrated experience that's, that's easy to work with. 
Yeah, yeah, that's... And that's kind of where I'm stuck now. So the the project I'm working on, I'm using Next and Firebase. And uh, I was working on authors, many different ways I could implement auth. I just don't want to do it, to be quite honest. I don't like doing implementing auth. Uh, I don't want to implement auth. And so I was like, hey, let's just use Next auth. Uh, it seems pretty complete. And so um, I had already set up username and password authentication. And so next auth kind of discourages that. So it automatically you're sort of limited in functionality there. Uh, but also I found out the hard way that there seems to be an issue with um, updating the session. So, so if I'm trying to store like a token from Firebase in my next auth side of things, you I, basically one, when someone signs in, I want to be able to augment the session and put custom data into the session or the JWT that next auth is creating. And that's not happening. It doesn't work for me right now. And I'm finding that other people are having a similar issue as well in GitHub. So now I can, I can keep banging my head against the wall or wait for someone else to like find a solution or tear that out and just do it myself, which I don't want to do. Right. Yeah, no, this is, this is definitely a thing that I want to highlight actually as a key piece of these kind of frameworks that I'm talking about. And this is one where a similar framework blitz that's another one that we talk about on the FS Jam podcast a lot. They have a ton of auth integration as well. So both Blitz and Redwood, they don't just give you an auth solution. They give you multiple auth solutions. So you can integrate it with something like Netlify Identity, and that's going to do everything. That's going to give you a login farm, and that's going to handle like everything for you. Or you can do it a little more low level, and you can do it with, say, like Firebase auth. You have a little more control there. Or you can even go further and just handle all of the JWT stuff yourself. So there's different levels to do this and there's docs to explain each of these different levels and how to do them with the framework. Yeah, jumping a little ahead, uh, or trying not to jump ahead a little bit, but uh, I was looking at deployment targets for Redwood and it supports Netlify, Vercel, and a serverless on AWS, which has a, it's great that it supports, that the framework does support multiple, basically, integrations. You can do more than that now. It can do render also now, and I'm figuring out begin right now. So it's going to get close to like five deploy targets, and that's just the front end. So the back end then is a whole different question because you can also do Heroku Postgres, or you can do Azure Postgres, or you can do Supabase. <laughs> like there's there's not only different ways to deploy the front and the back end, there's different ways to then combine those two. And now the question is, how do we get the front and the back end all into a single deploy target? Because that's part of the problem is you still end up with Mm-hmm. Like your front end on Netlify or Vercel and your back end on like a Heroku or an Azure and you're grabbing an environment variable and you're integrating those two services. What you really want is you want some like DigitalOcean where you can get your back end and your server and your front end all on a single service. So you're only managing one login, one dashboard. We want to be we just want one dashboard. We all want the, right. the Uber dashboard to re- handle our whole app. Like that's what everyone's aiming at here. Yeah. But I mean, it sounds uh, it sounds compelling though because even like when I you know I, I made the Rails API and I was and I was thinking to myself maybe I'll try DigitalOcean's app platform and I hook it up I push up to Git it starts deploying and it blows up and it blew up because there were some bundler deprecation warnings but there weren't any docs for me to go and like find out how I can fix this or how I could go about, you know, changing whatever build packets using like the build command. Right. So then I'm, then I'm shot there. And the only reason I really wanted to do that was because again, DigitalOcean kind of one spot. If I have other servers there, it's there. My other option then is to go to Heroku, which I'm familiar with, but then two dashboards, two bills, right. 
and the 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 same issue that I was talking about before exists. Uh, so I got frustrated with that, and I was like, "All right, back to Firebase." Yeah, it's definitely. It's, it's one of those things that this is kind of still in flux right now. Is figuring out the best way to deploy these applications, and some frameworks are creating companies, and some companies are creating frameworks. So you know, we'll see where things go. <laughs> yeah. Well, so so you were you were get, walking us through before we derailed, or you were walking us through sort of the front end back end split. And sort of, uh, you were talking about schemas, and you were talking about GraphQL. So, what is there? Are there any other like major pieces to Redwood that would need understanding to sort of see how it all fits together? Yeah. So the Prisma one is then the other the other big thing because that's like your ORM. So it would be like uh, Eloquent or like Active Record or like Hibernate. Like most most you know kind of full stack frameworks have some sort of ORM type type tool, and it's just what does the does the sequel stuff for you and then, yeah we'll get into the the development roadmap in a second and um the the really cool thing about redwood though is that you don't necessarily need to use prisma because there's been this like really kind of heated debate over going on like 15 years now about whether like an orm is something that we should even use or not and you have this like famous blog post called orms are the vietnam of of computer science and prisma themselves <laughs> kind of like refused to call themselves an rm for a really really long time i gotta find that article that sounds like some hyperbole well the it's, it's actually a kind of funny analogy when you think about it. the idea is that it seems like a good idea at the time and then you get into it and then you can't get out but you have to keep throwing more and more resources <laughs> at it i love it so uh in terms of okay, so we're talking about Prisma now, and then you mentioned there's sort of a unified GraphQL endpoint there. Uh and we know that with Prisma you have sort of Prisma's SDL language where you you kind of define your schema and Prisma will make your database or your SQL schema look like your your Prisma file. Uh do you have to have a separate GraphQL SDL as well? Yeah, this is a fantastic question. If anyone has used Prisma in the past, there's uh the Prisma we're using now is actually Prisma 2. There was a Prisma 1 that was an entirely different tool that was very tightly coupled to GraphQL. And then they created Prisma 2, but they pulled an Angular. Like, we're not going to call it Prisma 2. We're just going to call it the first thing and pretend like the first thing didn't exist. And eventually people <laughs> will forget about it. And so the first one was you all the GraphQL was baked in. But now it's not. It's just a ORM kind of database tool. And Redwood is what handles the GraphQL layer. So there is just a Prisma model and like a Prisma schema that has nothing at all to do with GraphQL. And so this is like going back to Blitz, another framework. Blitz uses Prisma, but there's no GraphQL at all. Right. So that's kind of like a key differentiator between Blitz and Redwood that they both use Prisma as their database tool, but one is using a GraphQL API, which is Redwood, and one has nothing to do with GraphQL, which is Blitz. You're just doing like function RPC calls straight into your database. So that kind of how you deal with that schema and how your front end and your back end really talk to each other is kind of the main thing that some of these frameworks are more bought into GraphQL, like Gatsby or Gridsum, versus others that aren't as bought into to GraphQL. So how does that work with Redwood specifically, though? Because uh, I, I assume that you do have to have the Prisma SDL for building your database schema. Uh, do you have a separate SDL uh, for the GraphQL services for Redwood? Or does Redwood try to introspect the database or introspect the, the, the Prisma SDL? Yeah, so your backend, your API folder 
splits into two. It splits into a Prisma folder and then an SRC folder. And so the Prisma folder is where you get like your Prisma schema and that's where all your migrations end up. And then the SRC folder has your schema definition language and then it has a place where you're importing like a Prisma DB client and then you're writing your services in there. And so that's like your functions, like your like db.findmany kind of thing. So that's like your kind of almost like controller logics is kind of how some people think about that. And so, yeah, so you write backend controller function logic kind of stuff. You write a schema oh. and then you also write a schema.prisma, which is separate from your GraphQL schema. So you end up with two files. One is your Prisma schema, one is your STL. So it may seem like you're kind of doing a bit of duplication, there, but having your your GraphQL and your database stuff separate is actually really nice because this is what allows us to work with different Postgres databases and MySQL and SQLite. We can switch out a lot of these databases because we've decoupled all these different pieces. We've we've gotten a monolithic development workflow that is made up of decoupled pieces. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, some other sort of. Uh, they're not really, I guess they're like database as a service, I suppose. It seems like a lot of things where it's like spin up a DB and we automatically build an API from your stuff. That's like Hasura. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your API or Postgres file or something similar mm-hmm. like that. Yep. But your API tends to be what your 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 schema is almost one-to-one and you know granted like Hasura and and PostGraphile they both allow you to use views basically or they encourage you like PostGraphile encourages you to use views instead of returning just straight uh data from your tables because you could use views to transform it and cache things and stuff like that you're talking about database views database views yes but then at that point you're like you're basically a you know a database admin uh you know, you have to like really know the stack really well. And I'm not advocating that you shouldn't, but it's just like, if that's not your area of expertise, that's a pretty big barrier of entry. Yeah. A lot of Redwood is based around enabling single solo developers, like build really powerful applications because it allows you to not have to be an expert in every single layer of the stacks. It's just, it's just so hard these days. And being a, a full stack engineer requires like tools that have really put a lot of work into, into integrating all these pieces. One of the things you mentioned in your uh, video was using a different front-end framework, like using Next on the front-end and then just using Redwood for the API serverless backend. And that's really interesting to me because the idea of deploying... like I, I like the idea of serverless functions just being a black box and being able to deploy that to multiple services. But I want to feel comfortable writing a front-end fr- framework that I already know. So... Can you talk a little bit about that? Is that really a thing that's supported? What do you lose by doing that? Like, you know, versus going with the whole mono repo and just buying all in. Yeah, the reason why some people have chosen to do that is because they don't feel like they're losing anything. They feel like they're gaining something because the developers who are doing that, the problem they have is that they feel that the Redwood website is currently lacking. And they're correct because Next.js is four years old four years of optimizations and, and work <laughs> baked into it. So Redwood, if you are able to leverage all the niceties from Next in terms of things like all, basically all the rendering stuff and like pre-rendering and having dynamic routes and all that kind of stuff, that's what you get from, from Next that you can do with Redwood, but you have to bring in things like React Snap. So all that stuff is not currently baked into Redwood just because like, 
there's you always have to make trade-offs like we don't we don't have unlimited man hours and we don't have like unlimited people working on this so ultimately like you, you gotta pass the buck somewhere and so the the web part is what people find is kind of lacking and so they use the redwood just as like you say like the api so there it's i call it a headless redwood so if you imagine like a headless wordpress kind of idea you're basically just using the back end and you get rid of the front end entirely and you stick a different front end on it so people are doing that because next is such an awesome front end framework and has lots of stuff baked into it that you're not necessarily going to have in redwood just because redwood hasn't been around as long i think a year from now redwood will have all of those things in the web front end but we're just not there right now it's really interesting. This is my co-host, actually, uh, Christopher Burns on FS Jam Podcast. He's one of the people who has done this for, for his application. So we we spent like whole episodes talking about this. So yes, uh, Active Record is basically what Prisma. So there's a question in the chat about how Prisma releases something like Active Record. The Tom and the team specifically picked Prisma to be a sit-in for what they expect a framework with an RM to do because they have used active record in Rails. So a lot of Redwood is very much modeled on Rails in that respect because old school Rails developers who have built it. And some people may know Tom Preston Warner originally built GitHub with Rails. So he scaled one of the largest Rails apps in, in history. So he's kind of run into a lot of the problems that you get with Rails. So Redwood is taking influence from rails by trying to find tools that can approximate it like something like active record but still being able to scale it in a way that allows you not hit the sort of limitations you hit with rails thomas in the chat also asks uh what the next year of redwood development looks like and we will post a link in the chat there is a roadmap on the website but you want to uh talk a little bit about it yeah so we are in a really exciting point in kind of redwood's history right now so uh, let me just kind of first set the the broader context of, of where we are, because it's important to know like where we've come from to, to get context of where we're going. So Redwood first started actually many years ago, probably going back to around 2018, when Tom, Tom Preston Warner and Peter Pistorius were working together at a company called Chatterbug. And Chatterbug was a or is a language learning platform and so they were building out a React front-end application that was speaking GraphQL to a Rails back-end. And they were running into a lot of the issues that you run into building these kinds of, of applications. And so throughout 2018 and 2019, they were just kind of you know going back and forth saying, how can we build a framework that could accommodate this new paradigm of how we're building applications, but give us this older, nicer convention over configuration style development so throughout then 2019 they were kind of kicking it around and then the repo i think was june 2019 is when they started the repo and then this year 2020 in march is when it actually went public and kind of launched and that's when it was like version 0.1 and right now we're at version 0.22 was released today and so the idea is we're going to hit 1.0 kind of like a year from the original launch or set to hit 1.0 sometime in the next couple months. And then it's going to be about polish over the course of the year. So getting making sure that we have all the things that frameworks like Next and Gatsby have. So things like nice image components and stuff like that. And then later on is going to be uh, basically creating 
mobile sides. So the idea is that a Redwood app is going to be optimized to be a multi-client in the future. So you'll be able to easily stick on a mobile application because it's just going to access your hmm. GraphQL API. Interesting. Are there any, like you said, it's just mostly polished from this point to 1.0. Are there any sort of features, major architectural decisions kind of still in flux or is it all pretty, pretty hammered down at this point? A lot of the work over these last couple of months has been sort of hammering down the storybook and Jest testing sort of integration. So if anyone here hasn't used storybook, it's a tool that's really nice for uh, developing your components in like a very visual way and being able to see like the different states your component can be in. But it requires like all of this stuff requires lots of configuration, lots of fiddling to get set up. And the same with things like Jest and, and unit testing. So it's set up now for when you're doing your generate commands. It basically sets you up for TDD and Storybook out of the box because it generates test files and it generates Storybook files that are set up for your components. So that's being, and then mocking. And then mocking is the next big thing. We're figuring out how to mock data is something that they put a ton of work into. And that's like the team isn't working on. Like I'm going to kind of learn over the next couple of months now that it's been introduced into the framework. So getting like, be able to make sure that we can actually like test and verify that our, that our programs work. Like a lot of that kind of stuff. It's so not really just polish. This is like, to me, this is kind of a separate layer from polish. because This isn't necessarily getting your application a function, but it's getting it to make sure that it's like working in a way that it's really going to function in the long term. So getting that stuff finished, like then after that level is what I think of then is where the polish comes in. For for like me hearing that, that's really appealing because again, that's one of the other things that drives me away from wanting to kind of do this myself. Uh, and I've kind of I've gone that approach. Like I've I've uh, made a project. I was using TypeScript. I was using Prisma for the API, and then I was really getting into it. I wanted to start adding some tests, like you said, to make sure my application is doing what I think it's supposed to do. And then I had to make all the decisions. Okay, do I mock the SQL request? Do I uh, do I set up a separate you know test database? Then how do I seed it? How do I destroy it? How do? And then you have to then you have to figure out like, am I using Jest? Am I using something else to just have a mechanism for this? It's there's so many decisions I've made that really that I'm no longer building my app anymore. I'm like plumbing right yeah absolutely and for you it's plumbing for me as like a newer kind of beginning developer it was i don't even ship a thing that that's the thing is like for for developers like you it's like oh wow this is really hard whereas like for newer developers it's like i don't even know how to get a thing that functions <laughs> in the first place <laughs> right 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 and, and that's what you get from something like rails even if you don't understand it you at least have a thing that works at the end yeah, yeah. And I've, I've said this in the past too, you know, going from Rails then to Elixir, then to Laravel, and then having to pick up Go for some job interviews. I was like, where's all the thing? Where's all the stuff? Yeah. Where is it all? <laughs> I'm, having, I'm having to go pick out everything myself. And I have a, you know, I have like a week to build this project and then go and defend it against like basically a board of people. Right. And I spent a good part of time like vetting things that I wanted to use in the project because that was definitely a question that was going to come up. Why did you pick this? Why didn't you pick this other thing? You know, I didn't want to be like, because I didn't know it existed. <laughs> right. I wanted to, 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 I wanted them to make sure or make like, feel like I, like I not only like knew the language, but I knew the ecosystem. Cause I think that's pretty important as well. Yeah. And that's something that I run into, like just going out and like explaining this thing. First question, everyone's going to ask you, why should I use this over Gatsby or Next? That's the first question you get almost <laughs> every single time, you know? 
And it's like, it's great. It's like, it's an important question to ask. And it's a question people should ask. And um, it's, uh, it's not very easy to answer until you've really built something with each of these tools. So why should people use it over Gatsby or Next? <laughs> Databases. Bam. You, got, you need a database? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so it's like, it's a pretty easy kind of, you know, decision tree, the, the way I think. It's like, you need a backend, you know? And for kind of like newer developers who just like fire up a Create React app, like they don't even necessarily realize what a backend is or like what it means to not have one because we've made this whole front end Jamstack deployment so nice that you can get a website up very, very simply. But to get a website up with a database that users can log into and do anything useful with, that's like so many layers removed from that. So that's why I say if you want to have something, if you want to have an application, not a website, go on an application that has users that do stuff, then you would want to use Redwood instead of Gatsby or Next. So you've kind of been skirting around this, but I just wanted to uh, sort of clarify uh, when you're designing a framework and like you've seen the development process and sort of decisions that they've been made to develop the framework for uh, you said you've been on the team for like six months or so. Right. Mm -hmm. So what is what are like the core like like Rails, for example, has a bunch of core uh, tenets that sort of like drive the design decisions behind Rails. Don't repeat yourself. Developer happiness. Um, I don't know, stuff like that, right? These little mantras. And so are there sort of are there sort of like those kind of guiding principles? Like from what you just described, it sounds like getting someone to ship something like period. Like that seems like a kind of a core thing. Are there those kind of things like that that are sort of, you know, core, uh, I don't know, guiding uh, principles of the framework? Yeah, we actually do have a specific list of like seven principles on the main website. I forget exactly what they are because I haven't read them in a while. <laughs> Hold on, I'll pull them up. I'm pulling them up. The ones that are important is essentially convention over configuration and just like the fact that it is an opinionated framework in the first place. And then the other ones are going for relational over no SQL. That's actually in there as one of the principles and being serverless by default. So essentially always starting from a serverless mindset and only branching out from that when you need to. And those to me are kind of the ones that, and then having like a single consistent kind of like mono repo type thing. Those are the ones that really stick out to me. I forget what the other three or four, I think like testing that, that testing is important. I think it's one of the other ones. And um, yeah. Oh, there's a whole section of the docs here that says the Redwood philosophy. It's shame on me for not reading the docs. I'll put a link in the show notes. <laughs> It'll take you a while. It'll take you probably a month to read the whole docs at this point. There's they're pretty thorough, but they're well written and they're like they you know, they got you know they've got personality, which I, I enjoy. That's one of the things that really stuck out, stuck out to me first because I had looked at Redwood a little bit before you you even like DM me on Twitter. And the thing, like one of the things, I don't know, like this, this obviously doesn't necessarily make this true, but when I'm looking at a tool or a framework or whatever, uh, first impressions to me mean a lot. And when I look at the design and the, the sort of how complete and how full the documentation are, like those two things usually say to me, there's more quality beneath the surface here. This is one of the things I really love about Redwood is that it's a very writing heavy community. And this goes back to Tom's influence. So I said how Tom had created GitHub and had, you know, been an old school Rails developer. But Tom is also known for being the creator of Jekyll, which is kind of like the OG static site generator that a lot of this Jamstack stuff is 
is based on and he launched that with a blog post called blogging like a hacker and the whole point of blogging like a hacker is he was saying my blog should just be in a git repo and i should just be able to use that git repo to deploy my website so he created jekyll and then he created github pages and then that's kind of what we think of now as like a modern jamstack kind of site and so that kind of and then he also coined the term readme driven development the idea being that you start by writing your readmes and then you write the code to make the readmes true and so it's just like this idea that it's like putting language first and i feel like that that humanizes it because we're working with computers and like computers are so abstract and like we're trying to talk to the computers but we're also people talking to each other trying to trying to use these things so that the human element of it and how we communicate about it and the words we use to describe it it's all it's, it's so important and something that for a long time was kind of seen as secondary and i think people like tom have done a lot of work over you know over a decade to make this idea of putting the docs on a very important place is like you know you can't just you can't skip that you know and that's why redwood's cool because then it's taking a little further into the tutorial not just the docs they're saying okay now we got great docs now we need a great tutorial so we don't just have all the resources there so we can go read and find we have a sequence that walks you through the the framework in a way that progressively reveals it to you I mean, it, it definitely comes across to me. Like I looked at it and I was like, this thing looks really mature. Oh wait, it's not even 1.0 yet. You know, like what, when I, yeah. So my first impressions were really, really high on it, I guess. So it, it, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm definitely going to have to, you know, kick off a, a Redwood app after, after this call. Um, <laughs> I wanted to also ask about, like I noticed there was a forum and I did click around the forum a bit and it seems like there are, you know, there's some Redwood, app, Redwood apps in production, uh, how, how have you, have you actually, have you deployed anything in your production? Do you know anyone that's using Redwood in production right now? Like what's that story been like sort of beyond just building the thing, maintaining it, right? Cause that's the other half of this story is, is maintaining it and keeping it going. Yeah. A hundred percent for me, if you, so if you go through the tutorial at the end, you have like deployed an application in the sense that there's like a thing online and anyone can go hit that URL and get to the thing. So like you, you deploy an application, but I wouldn't necessarily say it like, you know, it's not necessarily that you have a thing that can scale and have a thousand users, you know, that's kind of a, a different question. So sure. I, I haven't like scaled an application on, on Redwood yet, but I do know people who have, and I know many people who are building companies on it right now. Um, going back to my friend, Chris, that I host the podcast with, he is building uh, Everfund, which is a uk company that's built around like a specific british tax law and is like they create like donation links and so that's like it's a real thing that has like money running through like he he's hooked it up to stripe he's also the one who has the the next front end as well and then you have danny who has tape.sh which is uh both a cli tool and also like a screen capture kind of tool and then there's like repeater.dev is another one that's for like background job processing type stuff. And then there's a handful of others that I'm not kind of as close to. But at this point, I think there's close to a dozen Redwood apps in production. 
That's cool. I mean, that's that's good to hear. I mean, I wouldn't expect that there to be a ton, but it's cool to hear that people are using it. And also people are being creative, like you said, using just like, I guess, headless Redwood, like you said, using the backend infrastructure, the the integration. Like, I, I mean, the work around sort of isolating your, your API layer, right? So you mentioned like there's obviously the Redwood DB using Prisma, then there's a GraphQL layer, and then there's 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 affordances for servers or uh, services for working with third-party APIs. That's a good chunk of work in and of itself itself if you're building this thing from scratch. So even for me, that's it's really interesting to think about uh, in terms of, okay, if I want to build a thing and I want to use something like Next that I might be familiar with, but then I'm starting to think about the API instead of reaching for Rails or something outside of, you know, because then you have to pull in, like, I have to, like, refresh myself on Ruby and it's just two languages, there's context switching. I might be able to, or might be more likely to keep things inside of the JS ecosystem or TypeScript ecosystem. Yeah, hundred percent, and that's why I found that it'd be really interesting to have a conversation with you guys coming from more of this backend framework kind of kind of perspective because this really is something that it's it's very forward facing in that how it's using all this React type stuff, but it's wanting to give you a really powerful API that can do the kind of stuff you would expect to be able to do with a Rails backend. So it's it's interesting in how it kind of splits the difference between those two worlds. So I find you know kind of brings it brings a, a strange kind of combination of developers to it I mean, do you think like the real power there comes from the graphql stuff because with graphql you can use it sort of as a gateway right with having your service layer there your graphql exposes it as like a single interface so at that point your front end doesn't know where any data is coming from right 100 percent. and this is why when i say the core part of redwood is not react it is graphql you could i could imagine kind of redwood envisioned with like a view front end instead of like a react front end but if you take graphql out it's no longer redwood then it's like it becomes it becomes a different thing sure and this is why i find aws app sync to be really interesting because aws app sync is their managed graphql api and so when i see aws app sync hooked up to a DynamoDB database with Lambda functions. That is what a Redwood app <laughs> looks like. <laughs> I only know what half of those things are, so... <laughs> the concept of trying to manage that terrifies me. Same, yeah. Lambda functions alone. Which is why you'd want to use Redwood. You wouldn't want to do that yourself in the first place, and that's why we built Redwood, so you don't have to do that, so... Yeah. Would, would you say that people are... You mentioned some people starting businesses on it. Is it is the primary drive there... Like, is it going to be cheaper? Is it the is it just the scaling issue? Is it the infrastructure? Like, you just don't have enough people to like manage that. Like, what what is the what's the people that the reason the main reason that that like a business would would choose Redwood? I mean, yes, everything you said, yes, uh, all, all those of them. things, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's really like it's about developer velocity. It's about strong battle tested tech it's about using scalable by default serverless infrastructure it's about all of those things which all together combined to hopefully better faster and cheaper that's something that you're never supposed to be able to get in business and th that's because you have to work <laughs> for it so the 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 rub is you have to rewire your brain to figure out how to create apps like this yeah i mean there's lots of validation there already right so it's it's not like this serverless Lambda function, you know, scalable by default approach needs to be validated. I mean, you even have things like Laravel uh, releasing Vapor, which is Laravel Lambdaized, I guess. I don't know how to call it, right? But it's like serverless Laravel. And I've seen blog posts like, um, I keep talking about the analytics company that I can never remember their name. Fathom. 
Fathom, that's the one. Yeah, like the you know they had they had a Go app, they rewrote it with Laravel, and they used serverless, and uh, that allowed them to just keep growing without having to worry about scaling their servers and without worrying about their server costs uh, just skyrocketing. Uh, I'll have to link the, sh- the the blog post they wrote in the show notes, but I think that was really interesting uh, to look at. Of course, you have to you know build your Laravel app a little bit differently, or there's different considerations to make, but. Uh, the trade-off is 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 huge, I think, or like the the win in that trade-off is huge. Yeah, and this is something that Brandon, going back to Blitz, they're, they're kind of seen as like the Redwood competitor. Blitz was created by Brandon Bayer, and Brandon Bayer, I've had him on my podcast a couple times, and he has talked about Laravel Vapor, and to him, like that's what he's aiming for. That's what he sees as like what he wants Blitz to be. So yeah, you're you're totally on the money with that comparison. So yeah, and when I think about Blitz, um, like you're talking, you're, you're saying that it's like more like Laravel Vapor. To me, that feels more like home, I guess. To me, Redwood is like this, I look at it, I'm like, what is this? This is interesting. This looks really cool. But when I look at, when I think about Laravel Vapor or like Blitz being, to me, that's home, but that's just because of my past experience. So Redwood is very interesting because it's different enough that it kind of pulls me out of like, this is my home my safe space, but it's still, like you said, focused on developer experience, focused on a person just shipping something. Like to me, that's really, really compelling. I think this is a good reflection of how, like I say, how I keep saying you and I are coming from this from different ends. I'm coming at it from the front end, you're coming at it from the back end. And that's why Blitz is more appealing to you, but Redwood made more sense to me initially. And it's it's that same kind of thing because the the Redwood is very much still about creating this kind of front-end Jamstack kind of thing. And that's why Redwood is called a full-stack Jamstack framework, whereas Blitz calls itself a full-stack React framework. Blitz never has mm-hmm. used the, the Jamstack terminology to to refer to them. So there's there's slightly different language being used around each frameworks, but like those, they're actually reflective of very real important architectural differences be- between the two of them. Sure. Yeah, yeah, with with the 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 full stack React portion being it's like a, a server that lives out there, with versus the the Redwood sort of you're on the edge, you're distributed in the CDN, you're all over the place globally. I guess you could say. Yeah, and that's why I think Redwood is better positioned for this kind of like serverless by default mentality, whereas Blitz is better positioned for still having a monolithic server running somewhere which still has its advantages because what's funny is that's what people are doing with redwood even though redwood is architected for serverless stuff people like my buddy chris they're running it on a server like they have rewired (laughs) redwood to make it serverful instead of serverless because redwood is aiming for where the puck is gonna be we're aiming for where serverless technologies are going to be in a year or two so right now they're actually they don't really quite Hmm. cut it so that's why people are spinning up their own bespoke PM2 instances running Redwood apps. Oh, man. That's great. That was going to be one of my questions, but you beat me to it. I mean, that makes sense from, a, I mean, all of these uh, to get up and running in development mode, like all the tools are more or less free. I mean, Heroku databases are free. DigitalOcean Postgres hosted databases are basically free right and then cdns are extremely cheap as well so it's very easy to get started on this so i don't think necessarily cost is really an issue for getting up and running like you don't need to uh you don't need to use a server just to save save money in fact it might actually end up costing you more if you start getting traffic right so the rub is not cost the rub is the cert that your serverless functions can only 
be a certain size. If your serverless function, literally, if it has too much code, it can't run in a Lambda. There's a certain limitation to how large your functions can be. So that's actually the limitations are hitting. They're not necessarily hitting cost limitations so much as they hit the bounds of what these ser services were made to do in the first place because we're kind of rewiring them to do crazy stuff that no one really expected us to do with these things. And so you hit just limitations in terms like, a lambda is supposed to be a small function that can be invoked quickly. It's not supposed to be a lambda lith. It's not supposed to be a monolith shoved into a single <laughs> lambda. And that's what we're doing. So that's kind of the problem is that we're not really using the technology the way it was intended to be used in in the first place. So it makes sense why it's not really quite working yet. And that's why we're thinking about, you know, maybe creating some sort of hosting provider that hosts giant lambda functions. Well, it's interesting to think about because you mentioned, uh, obviously, it's GraphQL on the server. So that means that any Lambda function, like at the bare minimum, has to be able to parse and validate GraphQL, like every single function, right? The handler is one giant, is a GraphQL handler. So you then, so I was talking about how you have your backend, you have like your, your schema, your functions, your Prisma database, all that gets imported into one file that stitches it all together into one giant Lambda handler. So yeah, you have one <laughs> giant GraphQL handler in the end. So that's why I say like it is literally a lambda lift. <laughs> you got you got any other questions, Sean? Uh, I think I would have to like actually try it out. To we 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 could probably do a round two, have them back, and then I'll have my I'll have my list of um, grievances. My list of grievances, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. You really got to sit down and and just build something out with it, and that's why yeah. I really I'm glad you watched the the talk that I that I sent you because um that's really like I really make a point to in all my talks do a demo where I start from complete zero, I generate a blank Redwood app, and then I just build it out and deploy it and show the entire process. And you can do it like it's like the whole Rails thing; you can do it in like 15 minutes, you know. So has a nice effect. Oh, I had a quick question about that. Actually, one technical thing. What's the difference between a component and a cell? Like, what is the, what is the concept of a cell in the front end part? Yes. So a cell is a concept that is new, introduced by Redwood. It's not like a super new idea so much as it's a, a convention for something people were already doing in the sense that it's specifically a component for data fetching. So it's not just a component that like displays a card or something. It's the component that's actually hitting an API and pulling data out of it. And it's a way to declaratively render your data in the different states it can be in, basically whether it's empty, whether it's loading, whether you get an error, or whether it's success. So a lot of people do this themselves. They write a whole bunch of conditional logic to say, if I get this, I'm going to get an error. And if I get the error, I'm going to do this. And if I get this and it works, I'm going to do this. And, you know, so a cell is just a nice way to do all that for you. So you write a single GraphQL query at the top, and then you figure out, you write what you want to do in the success state, and then all the other states are just handled for you. And so that's a, that's a cell it's specifically for data fetching. And so this has lots and lots of interesting implications for React server components. <laughs> so it sounds a little bit similar to uh, React Query or something like that, where you define your, your query hooks, and you have sort of like a unified API, is loading, is error, data, whatever. Right, we're using Apollo instead of React Query, but it's the same thing. You have a, a client gotcha. that's doing some sort of GraphQL query. And then Thomas asked about TypeScript. Second most common question I get after, does this? what is the difference between this and Gatsby and Next is, but can I use TypeScript? <laughs> so, yes. 
Thomas works for Microsoft, so he's legally obligated to ask that question. <laughs> yeah. We actually have uh, someone who's worked at Microsoft who wrote our types for us, so you should be happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, the TypeScript thing is um, the whole framework has slowly been converted over to TypeScript. It's been a, a, long, a long and arduous process, so I hope you people are happy, but we're getting there. <laughs> you people! <laughs> are you happy, Thomas? Thomas is never going to be happy. Come on. My uh, yes, yesterday I jumped to a definition on a thing, and uh, I was trying to figure out like what the types were. And when I got there, it said to do uh, oh. make the types, and it was basically just any. I was a little disappointed. It has nothing to do with nothing. Nothing to do with uh, uh, Redwood, though. This is an interesting question. Someone has actually never asked me before. Can I also get it in Dart slash Flutter flavors? So I was talking originally about how it's going to be multi-client and essentially it'll be able to have like a React native side that can talk to it. So I would imagine then you could have some sort of Flutter side that can talk to it as well, but that's going to be significantly harder to integrate than React native, a whole different language and like tool chain. And I don't, I would not be very optimistic about getting it to work particularly well with Flutter beyond like a rudimentary hacky kind of way it's going to be much much more optimized for react native than for than for flutter unfortunately for people who like flutter i'd love to see electron client as well that would be cool yeah that would be much easier than flutter so that would be the other kind of idea is that you'd also be able to do uh, a desktop app as well that just any kind of client that's written in javascript should be should work well with it in the end so uh, Paul's asking, uh, are you aware of anyone doing React Native with it as yet? And is that, I, I imagine, as a follow-up kind of question, is that is that going to be initially what the mobile targets are going to be? Yeah, so just because it's already built so heavily around React and the whole React ecosystem, I just I couldn't imagine us going any direction but React Native at this point. I don't know of anyone who's done it. I have to imagine someone somewhere has done it but they haven't blogged about it unfortunately so you know it's one of those a tree falls in the woods and doesn't make a sound kind of kind of thing so it's certainly not something that the team has put resources into yet it's something that we're optimizing for in the long run but it's just like at at this point yeah like if you want to do it like that'd be awesome i'd be super interested to hear how it goes yeah paul blogs he'll he's gonna write about it he'll have it done in a couple of days don't worry about it <laughs> yeah, that's pretty realistic. <laughs> is is it always going to be React? Do you, do you see in the future any sort of view support or Svelte support or whatever else support on the website? What I imagine is people will build a version of this in view. I think someone is going to take Nuxt and slap an ORM on the back, and that's going to be essentially the same thing. I just don't really see how creating a version of Redwood that integrates with a front end. I don't see how that could lead to any benefits because by introducing Vue, it's going to break so many other things because of just how tightly <laughs> coupled everything sure. is to your front end framework. And that's why it's just like, it's it's really hard to get any of this stuff to work together. That's why you have this whole micro front end movement because everyone wants to write their own front end frameworks and no one has any idea how to get them to work together. So you just like deploy a million <laughs> front ends in your application, call it a day, you know? Wait, that's the thing? Yeah, I haven't heard of micro front ends. Yeah, it's microservices for front ends. Because of, of course, <laughs> I I feel worse now that I know this. Is it is it LinkedIn doing that? I'm pretty sure LinkedIn does that. I read a blog post about LinkedIn doing that. 
I mean, any company that scales to that level, like LinkedIn is one of the few companies who would actually have a legitimate technical reason to have micro front ends, I would guess. So like, good, good for them, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, I think the decision to like really, again, with the idea of focusing on DX, that decision to hone in on React and make the bindings really tight makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's just, it's just kind of how it has to be at this point where, where all these tools are and like, getting something that have this nice, nice, tightly full stack integrated experience. You just can't do it for both React and Vue at the same time without building two entirely separate frameworks. You know, I would, I'll be very curious to see what's going to happen with like maybe WebAssembly, like down the road, someone might be able to figure out some sort of way to get all of this stuff to just compile down to WebAssembly. And then we could all like live in a utopia. Sure. I mean, again, someone could also just use Redwood Headless in plug it into whatever framework they want to use. Yeah, yeah, that'd probably be the most reasonable thing to do at this point. I would just kind of like question like why, you know, I guess it would just be kind of someone wanting to use whatever tool is comfortable to them. But I think if you're comfortable with Vue, then like you're not going to be comfortable with a Redwood backend either. So it's an interesting question. I'd be very curious to kind of hear as people who start to discover Redwood who are from like kind of the Vue world, like what the kind of reaction is to it. That's me. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> I've only like a few months back in back into React, and before that, I'd only shipped one React project. Uh, I have many years of Vue experience, though. Cool. Yeah, that will be curious to hear, kind of as you get deeper into Redwood, kind of like where the hangups are in terms of the React stuff. I came at it from like I only had learned React, you know. So for me, like it was it was a very natural kind of progression because I didn't have to learn the React stuff. I, I was able to just focus on learning the GraphQL and, and the Prisma stuff. Yeah, yeah. My previous before coming into this React stuff, the app I was working on was Elixir powered GraphQL API and a Nux.js front end. Okay, so it sounds like you already built Redwood in Vue then a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah, it's a lot of work. Let me tell you about it. This is why I keep saying all these people like you're everyone's building Redwood before Redwood. <laughs> yeah, I'm really interested to tr- give it a try, though. You definitely uh, there's been some people in the chat saying like, well, you made a sale. So, <laughs> yeah, and it's like and, you know, for me, like I'm just someone who got so much value from the framework, like not only from like what I could build, but from like the mental model it gave me and the the ability to conversate on these kind of bigger idea topics and like have a, a shared vocabulary with like a rails developer or a laravel developer and be able to actually like speak a language that makes sense to to both of us and that's what that's what i really got out of it more more than anything and so this is a, a popular refrain from rich harris the creator of svelte that i really love is that frameworks are not tools for applications they are tools for your mind yeah and i always i like the uh lack of infrastructure you have to maintain like i'd be much more likely to sort of do a hobby project that way if it was easy right because like i'd be able to just spin it up and uh it cost me nothing and i would never have to worry about updates or keeping it you know the only thing i really have to worry about is the database but if it's a hobby project like who cares right just throw in some uh you know backups and you're fine like the, everything else is basically disposable and i can just let it run forever and until i die right so like that that is definitely appealing uh because sometimes there's some friction there. It's like, do I even want to start this thing if I know that I'm going to have to just like maintain it forever, you know? Yeah, it's definitely the the no DevOps kind of mentality is this goes back to the kind of like serverless by by default stuff. Serverless by default is really just saying I don't want to do ops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Well, before we wrap this up, uh, do you have any other shout outs, things you're doing, working on? You mentioned the podcast. You mentioned Redwood once or twice, I think. Uh, <laughs> any other any other stuff you got going on? Uh, I have a blog. So at um, so my general handle is AJC Web Dev. And so if you go to twitter.com slash AJC Web Dev, you'll find my Twitter. Same for GitHub or Dev.2. That's kind of the main areas that I that I congregate. I do lots of talks. I do talks about other things as well. Like I've done a Nuxt talk. I just did an AppSync talk uh, yesterday. I've done a Dino talk. So I'm like, Redwood is kind of my bread and butter right now, but there's definitely a lot of other technologies that I'm interested in that I'm kind of like slowly starting to get my feet wet with. So um, yeah, and feel free to just like message me if you have any questions about any of this stuff. I'm in the the DNC Discord as well now. You know, we're all getting along really well. I am friends with you guys now, and I know you all so well. I literally murdered a bunch of your friends last night. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're you were very uh, efficient with the knife or gun or tooth spike or whatever it was. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, uh, we're, thanks for thanks for coming on the show. We're glad that you know you're you're around in the community. Like you said, we'll be talking a lot more uh, in the future, and I'll definitely be checking out the podcast. And we'd love to have you back sometime to just kind of follow up on and uh, our experiences because it sounds like a couple of people, at least in our community, are going to try kicking around ideas. We're always like making new stuff, so it sounds like a few people are wanting to give Redwood a try. So uh, we'd love to to chat about it more in depth when we have actual real world experience. Yeah, happy to hear. I'm happy to come back anytime. And yes, you can sponsor me on GitHub. Thank you, Thomas. Well, uh, we'll make sure to put that link uh, first in the show notes. Well, uh, if anybody else has any feedback or questions or, or thoughts on on Redwood or anything we talked about today, uh, you should you should definitely check out the show notes at dnc.show. All the links that we that we talked about, every, every article, every video, we're going to put it all there. On Twitter, you can reach us. Anthony is ACJWebDev. Nope. AJC. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and you can reach us on Twitter. Anthony is AJC WebDev. Got it right the first try. Uh, the show is DNC Cast. Sean is Sean Washbot, and I'm Shrockwell. You can join us on Twitch every Thursday night, 6 Pacific, 9 Eastern, twitch.tv slash DNC Cast. Uh, next week, we have another guest, mystery guest. You can probably guess who it is because we talk about it nonstop. But next week, come join us in the chat and see your see your guest. We also have a community Discord, as we've talked about at least a few times tonight. And uh, if you're interested in talking shop, talking web dev, talking music, cooking, stocks, money, whatever, we t- we just talk about life and we just want to learn and we want to help each other learn. So uh, if that sounds interesting to you, check out the show notes. We'll have a link to our our Discord, and we'd love to have you. Yeah.